0: This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. Two weeks ago, we interviewed Brighton Shang of Aquabyte, a company that deploys computer vision systems at fish farms. We talked to him about what it looks like to deploy AI at the edge in that environment. And during that recording, we got in an extra bonus episode with Brighton about how to build AI products for non-technical audiences. Again, he's selling a computer vision product to fish farmers. Obviously, this is a product development effort that involves really keeping the data science, the heavy lifting, the data labeling and feature selection in the hands of the vendor, in this case, Brighton's company, Aquabyte, and away from the client so that they don't have to deal with complexity. What does it look like to construct a product that feels simple, feels like SaaS to the user, but ultimately delivers a compelling new capability With artificial intelligence. We here at Emerge are seeing more and more companies going this route. In other words, making adoption simpler by sassifying the AI benefits of a product. And Brighton's company is a good example of a firm doing just that. So if you're interested in building AI products, whether it's for your own team or whether it's for clients, taking something to market, this is going to be an episode you want to tune into because Brighton walks through how he solved that problem and how he worked hand in hand with his client market to build a product that would be simple for them to use, where they wouldn't even have to know that AI is what's powering it. Brighton is also one of the speakers at the edge ai summit Kisako research is the sponsor for this episode you can google ai edge summit and you're very easily going to be able to find the event it's november 18th through 20th it's a completely virtual event so you should check that out if you're interested in selecting the right ai vendor so you're thinking about ai products kind of like the one we're talking about here and you want to know how to find the vendor company that might be best suited for you whether it be for the ai skill sets that you have in-house or whether if you're shopping for a client, the level of AI maturity that they have, then be sure to download our five keys to picking the right AI vendor guide. You can find that at emerj.com slash B-U-Y-1. That's buy one, emerj.com slash buy one. That's our five keys to picking the right AI vendor. So if you're thinking about products from an acquisition standpoint and wondering what might be a fit, that's going to be a good framework to build off of. And if you're interested in building AI products, this episode is also going to help you think through that process too. Without further ado, this is Brighton with Aquabyte here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Brighton, I want to talk to you about kind of your journey of building an AI product for a specific market. You guys are in the aquaculture space using computer vision to monitor the health and the size and the growth of, of gigantic fish farms. Very, very big and important industry. Also not an industry, at least what strikes my mind, as, as one that's eager for AI for its own sake. You know, we look at financial services and they might just like the sizzle of AI, but I imagine a fish farmer doesn't. They just want something practical. You've had to go through this journey of finding a fit for AI and for hardware in a market that really just wants an outcome. Talk to us about what that journey was like. What made the idea click? And then what did you have to go through to build a product that would be a business?
1: So I, I I think certainly uh, AI or not, like we really started with the customer need, and and so clearly there was a need for being able to count sea lice on the fish, and as well as understand weight and growth, and so whether that could be solved by AI or not, that that's really a, a large need that was really clear from the farmer. We had talked to a number of farmers, and and they had consistently said that that was their number one problem. I, mm-hmm. I think in terms. Solving that, I mean there's been companies that have tried to work on it using basic like more traditional computer vision or via other techniques and and really the idea being that I mean there's been technologies developed in autonomous driving and in other industries uh social media that have developed deep learning and other AI models that have been really successful at identifying objects and images and doing 3D reconstruction. And so that for, for that, that was inspiration for us to be able to apply similar technology to the aquaculture industry. To get started is a bit challenging. So of course, we, we need to gather training data. And and this is something where basically taking lots of pictures of fish and being able yeah. to annotate those images yeah. for sea lice and, and even like determining the weight of the fish. This is not something you can determine from an image. You actually have to go and physically like weigh them and yeah and so it certainly challenges around the data collection aspect but really I mean I think the AI company it's I, I think there's a saying that it's like like AI company is sort of like raisin bread like the company is like the bread and the AI is just like the raisins that make it like special but at yep. the end of the day we're just we're still solving for that core need of the farmer
0: one hundred percent. I mean, if if you could um grow a billion dollar firm with not a lick of AI, more power to you. You know what I mean? We just happen to have a focus on AI use cases here on the show, but we certainly don't tout toy AI for its own sake. But it sounded like the problem was suited, and so bada bing, right? You're not going to be able to build software that takes a look at fish. You know, the o- old school methods of computer vision of you know looking at lines or something like a uh, There's really, those old exactly. videos of how computer vision used to work. It's just never going to skin the cat. So you got to use ML. And the kickoff for the company, which you mentioned in our previous interview, was actually around regulation, which I found to be interesting. So there was a regulatory act in Norway. And I don't know if this, if this took place in other countries or just in Norway, where they had to count the lice a certain amount on their fish, a certain amount of sampling. And it seemed like that was actually the catalyst almost to the business. Is that safe to say?
1: I I would say so. I mean, certainly there's businesses with economic incentives and and there is also an economic driver for them to manage sea lice. Because fish farming is something that does touch environmental uh, concerns as well as food safety concerns, it is something that is uh, intimately tied with regulation. And in this case, pretty much every country that grows uh, fish in the ocean has some form of regulation of parasites.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting. I think, you know, obviously most of our listeners are not familiar with the aquaculture space, but uh, curious to see that there's regulation there. You know, when I think about the sectors where we might do a little bit more coverage or certainly where you know, we do our market research work like financial services, when someone is selling a document search and discovery software, they're very rarely saying, well, you know, here's how this can tangibly improve efficiencies of people trying to find these kind of documents for mortgages or these kinds of documents for insurance underwriting. They're a lot of the time using the argument of, hey, you're really going to get regulatorily slapped if you don't, I don't know, change these kind of LIBOR clauses now that that legality has gone away. Or if you don't, you know, remove client data upon their request and if you can't find all of it, that's still your problem and this is going to help you. So regulation and the fear of kind of those consequences honestly, is is something that, you know, financial services vendors lean on, especially when they don't have other ways of measuring ROI. Curious to see that it's also potentially a lever to kick off a need for technological innovation in your space, too. This is something that's made people kind of have to adapt, if you will.
1: Absolutely. One of the differences, though, if we're, we're talking about kind of AI companies and some of the challenges we've worked through is that just the farmers understanding that it's not it's not like a thermometer like you drop it in it tells you the reading like and in the data and and it's learning over time and well how many products do you buy and it just gets better over time versus get worse over time but it fundamentally does work differently and so there is but but that's just sort of like the challenge of the system so to speak is that like it's, it's it's not like a mechanical system it is like a dynamic system and
0: that's the challenge for ML across the board, you know, these living, breathing systems where somebody's got to kind of keep tabs on things. Now, I presume, you now some markets, you're well aware of this, plenty of vendors that we've had on, I mean, from, you know, Dataiku and DataRobot to, you know, Ayazdi to Lord knows how many, are essentially providing folks with tools where their in-house data scientists are also going to be able to use these tools to get a job done, maybe detect money laundering, maybe detect, you know, cancerous tumors on, you know, patients or whatever the case may be. These are tools for in-house technical folks and maybe in-house non-technical folks. There are some vendor companies that try to keep as much or all of the actual data collection and processing and kind of that, what we could call the heavy lifting of keeping a living, breathing ML system running in-house in the vendor. And then they're only giving the user more or less a SaaS product. Now, of course, it's more complicated than that. But for the user, it's about that simple. My guess in aquaculture is that the in-house data science staff is rather limited at these firms and that you're essentially having to do the latter kind of company where you're giving them, here's the hardware, plug it in, here's the dashboard, you're going to look at it. But just know, Mr. Buyer, that there's a lot going on in terms of labeling and upkeep and, and and heavy lifting that you don't have to do that we're handling for you. I presume that's what you've had to, to build?
1: I think that's right. And I mean, for us, the machine learning AI component is more, it's more like a cachet Thing like rather than for for them they prefer if it was like it's, it's more important for us to be an aquaculture company delivering weights and and yep. health information yep. sort of not exposing so much of like the AI details <laughs> yeah. because of, yeah you know, they,
0: yeah they, they just
1: want to grow the fish so
0: yeah so well it helps you with the VCs though right so you gotta you gotta you gotta play your cards uh, both sides there pal so for the fisherman it's just like hi we're gonna put this in here. And you're going to know the weight and the whatever of the fish. It should be kind of magical. But you did say that you also have to set the expectation that that sometimes it's it's not. And that's a really unique thing that that I think AI firms in general have to adjust to is that AI is not IT, right? These are probabilistic systems, not deterministic systems. These are systems that need to learn and grow. These are systems where the algorithm can drift and maybe things can start going off a little bit. They're also systems that maybe can get better with time if we're really ardent about our labeling and, and upkeep. What are those kind of lessons and expectation setting that you have to do in your market to make it, you know, make, make people be able to, you know, I don't want to frame this in a negative way because I, I don't intend it that way, but endure what is necessary to keep these systems up and, and make them run so that they they don't expect magic. What, what do you have to do to balance that?
1: Well, for example, one of the things we've done is that we have in-house fish biologists that are working with the algorithm and they're, looking at the images, looking at the outcomes of the model and validating them. And, and to the farmer's perspective, we're saying, hey, we have an actual fish farmer, fish biologist that's reviewing the AI system and, and making sure it's doing the right thing. And that gives them trust and also adds a sort of human element to it. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's cool. So yeah, instead of saying, don't worry, we got a bunch of smart data scientists plugging away in your problem. Instead of that, you say, hey, hey, Yes, we're using the latest technology, but we've got really great experts that you'd love to have on your team who are working with us every day, and they're the ones that are helping to keep the system up to speed for you.
1: Right. And that's both, I mean, we have these biologists, like PhD biologists, who are both helping with the fundamental R&D, but they're also helping in an online sense to train the algorithm every day to get better and better.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they've, they've got to do that long tail of continuous labeling you know making sure we're not drifting and we're we're picking up on you know lice in the right way we're not we're not detecting too many or too few or what have you so some kind of quality assurance and control by people that are actually trained in in that space are there deployments that do take you know a little bit of time to kind of get up to speed i imagine you you know you drop these cameras into you know a new farm maybe it's somewhere really up close to the arctic maybe it's farther away from the arctic maybe it's next to you know, some kind of current or farther from a current. And I imagine the water looks different. The the fish themselves might even look different if it's a different species of, of you know, whatever it is, trout or salmon or what have you. And we might need a little bit of time to kind of calibrate to this environment and make sure that our counting and make sure that our growth and size estimates and make sure that our disease estimates are actually going to be accurate given this specific environment. Does that A happen? And B how do you set expectations with customers? Again, they don't want to know that there's algorithms behind the scenes. Of course, you probably tell them, but but they, they don't want to understand the complexity. How do you make it okay that that's part of the onboarding?
1: There is some adaptation that we have to do in certain cases. So we've deployed everything everywhere from like farms that are inland um, that are protected waters to more exposed sites. Uh, we even deployed at one farm that's basically on an oil rig that is Whoa. surrounding the terrain. Whoa. We've like nautical miles offshore. And we're, we're talking about differences in the clarity of the water. Also, if there's like algae and that that's yeah. also like a seasonal thing. And yeah, in these circumstances we need to adapt. And I think in terms of like the actual fish, once you get a picture of the fish, it's, um, uh, Atlantic salmon in the north of Norway versus south Norway is is similar. Um, so there's less differences there, but more just in the in environment and how the data is captured. Even to the extent where our similar algorithm that could detect salmon also worked sort of out of the box for trout. And so there is actually similarities between species as well. And so. Yeah, it's it's more just in terms of the environment and the conditions
0: and Yeah. And the, so yeah. do you, do you sort of let folks know and again this is this is part of, you know, an AI, you know, if if I buy Mailchimp, I'm going to click the button and it's going to send the email whether I sell legal services or whether I sell baseball hats with propellers on them. For you folks, you drop these cameras in the water. Sometimes, yeah, we're going to need to calibrate. There's some new algae circumstances, a little bit unique. There's some whatever. We basically just kind of have that expectation with customers. Hey, look, you know, we're going to set this in. We're going to make sure we can really calibrate things to your environment. And kind of here's the, you know, the time horizon we're working with. Cause obviously it's a benefit of AI that you can adapt to those environments, but customers who are used to IT might be like, Oh, why is this slow? So you've got to frame that balance properly. Do you basically just say it like that? Hey look, you know, we're going to start this. Here's what we think it's going to take to get up to speed and then we're going to be able to get, you know, this dashboard up and running for you. Do you have to go into why that is or how do you how do you word that?
1: Well, I think it's something that I mean, they understand we're doing something for the first time and and also, I mean, we position it as actually like I mean, it's it's actually having like really good customer service and focus on the customer that we can Spend the time and work with them so closely, and we're not just going to deliver them uh, a product and leave. Like we're having close follow up with them, and and that actually they appreciate.
0: Yeah, well, and and AI AI products often involve white glove stuff, whether the companies want to or not. I think a lot of people go into starting an AI company, being like, "Yeah, it'll just be like SaaS, man," but then you realize, nope. We're going to be pretty hands-on. We're going to be calibrating for company. And I think you can embrace that and say, hey, let's use this as an opportunity for relationship. So I love that point. Another important point as we wrap up here, another important point was that your core problem, which started with lights but went into other things, really did require computer vision. So this wasn't an AI for fun company. This is AI is the right tool for the job, which I think everybody listening in is well aware. That's the philosophy here for Emerge. And then third, which I think was a curiosity for me, sometimes regulation, which means hey, everybody needs to have this important thing on your radar. Sometimes that creates a market, and for you folks, obviously that was part of the part of the beginning of the business. Any other really big important lessons about starting a firm and moving into a space that isn't all that technologically developed that you've learned that you want to leave people with before we wrap up today?
1: Well, I, I will bring up one interesting point: is aquaculture uh, is international, so. of fish are farmed outside the U.S. And so I'm based in San Francisco, but really, I mean, when you think about applications, there are applications of AI that we don't think of being in, well, I'm in the Bay Area, but like in the U.S. or even internationally. And so, um, and in these other regions, there necessarily isn't access to like, I mean, there's AI experts everywhere, but like concentration wise and folks who have access to capital. And so I would really encourage folks to think even globally and, and in terms of like the different industries and applications. And in our case, uh, because we were like one of the only like working in AI in the space, we were able to really capture the space and, and quickly be a leader in, in AI and aquaculture. And and that's something that if we picked a more crowded space, like everyone's working on SaaS technology and SF, like it would be yeah, a different yeah.
0: Yeah, if you said, well, I want to do payment fraud with credit cards or something with ML, or so, it's a really, really busy domain, I guess what you're saying is, hey, if you can find a unique international problem where there's a big market, a real need, but this tech is not being used, that could be a really cool opportunity. Exactly. Nice, nice. I think that's transferable lesson for the folks tuned in. So anyway, Brighton, I know that's, that's it for Interview 2. Thanks again for joining us here.
1: Yeah, thank you, Dan.
0: So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business podcast. Again, every Thursday, just like today, we cover a series we call Making the Business Case. That is to say, thinking through adoption, thinking through deployment, thinking through ROI. Not just use cases, but practical realities of what it looks like when the rubber meets the road with AI. If you like that content and you don't want to miss any other material we create along the lines of Making the Business Case, then be sure to stay tuned on social. You can find us at emerj.com. On Twitter or Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on Facebook or on LinkedIn and if you're on the Emerge homepage that's just EMERJ.com you can very easily subscribe to our newsletter there right in the footer of the homepage you're gonna be able to find a spot to subscribe to our newsletter not only will you get all of our latest episodes just like this one but you'll also receive all of our latest infographics and articles as soon as they come out so if you want to stay ahead of the curve with AI build better products deploy AI more successfully then stay tuned via the newsletter and be sure to engage on social. We've had a lot of great growth on our Twitter handle recently, and it's been fun to see more people commenting and sharing and building off of the ideas that we're posting on a daily basis on Twitter. So that's just at E-M-E-R-J. So stay tuned and stay plugged in if you're not already. But that's it for this episode. I look forward to catching you next week for our Use Case episode on Tuesday here on the AI and Business Podcast.